0: Stay live. I'm Graham Lynch. Welcome to the show. Of course, we took a little break for Easter, but we're back bigger and brighter than ever. Uh, We've got a uh, very interesting interview in today's show with the CEO of Queensland operator OneCode, Matt Shearing, um, talking all about what they're doing with a games hub up in Guam and what it all means and, and what the opportunity is for it. We'll also be speaking to Rowan Pierce later on in the show about Telstra, in the federal court over the way some of its licensees have treated Indigenous customers, and also the, the end of the affair uh, with NBN and RSPs formally ending their cooperative arrangements in regards to COVID-19. But first up, we have the chief editor of Comms Day, Simon Ducks. Hello, Simon. Hi there, Graham. Managed
1: to survive Easter?
0: Indeed I did, but I, I still have a lot of chocolate to eat, and I'm not sure I'm going to survive that.
1: <laughs> That's a good problem to have, to be honest.
0: Yeah. we've got, uh, you, you had a couple of really interesting stories over the past few days in Comms Day. Uh, the first one was in um, the uh, Wednesday edition of Comms Day regarding a very big public safety mobile broadband trial being conducted by the New South Wales Telco Authority, um, and they have
1: signed up a couple of operators to help them out with it. That 's right, Graham. Uh, this was the long awaited uh, uh, is the term that we were using. Uh, I think a few people uh, have been uh, waiting for this one as long as uh, Godo uh, it 's been <laughs> a, a long time coming essentially, but uh, we 're at the stage now where um, there's been some toing and fro between the state governments and the federal government around uh, the details on how Uh, various elements of spectrum will be uh, handled uh, and also what sort of technical capabilities are going to be trialed and uh, essentially at the end of last year the federal government after going through the whole bushfire season dealing with the COVID uh, pandemic had uh, decided that it's time to get this public safety mobile broadband Uh, kicking on uh, and uh, part of that and a key part of that was the proof of concept trial and uh, so they set aside uh, eight million dollars which essentially uh, went to the New South Wales government to pay uh, for this trial essentially and um, so the New South Wales Telco Authority uh, which is managing uh, the state's uh, interaction with the federal government and uh, on behalf of the state's running this trial essentially and uh, they've signed up with TPG Telecom as the lead uh, mobile operator and Optus plus also uh, using uh, tech from Nokia and uh, they're going to actually be uh, trialing um, very soon in fact. Uh, TPG told us that uh, they're going to be uh, doing all sorts of elements around active RAN sharing on their specific sites. They're going to be uh, using their uh, network for inbound roaming of devices across all associated spectrum bands as well. So it's quite an integral trial. And if you can imagine that the public sector uh, has been using, or the emergency services have been using uh, a LAN mobile radio, and this is essentially to help them move to the next step. Now, there's some uh, discussion around whether or not this is the correct way to go to have a discrete network uh, a we still don't have the spectrum sorted out for it uh, but b there is an argument and we're hearing it more um, both from the mobile operators uh, and also from the lamb mobile radio association which is Arkia. Uh, i won't spell that one out and uh The uh, key thing that they're actually saying is the fact that, well, you know, we've got a lot of this uh, licensed spectrum uh, that the mobile operators are using. Wouldn't it be better to be actually using this uh, and reusing this for this uh, dedicated broadband network using uh, the existing technologies that are developing around 4G and moving into 5G uh, and then use uh, the radios for uh, dedicated uh, incidents and? Uh, They uh, pointed out to us actually that this was apparently done, um, I think it was Cyclone Tracy, where uh, the government immediately uh, released uh, some UHF spectrum to allow uh, a lot of local communication. So it was all about how to manage in that uh, situation, but using the best technology choice to actually do that. And uh, there, we have seen a couple of proof of concepts of this uh, sort of technology uh, work in uh, the US, so we know it does work, but I think there's a little bit of a feeling that uh, we wanna get on and get the emergency services to actually get these networks rolling out. But uh, anyway, the New South Wales Telco Authority uh, Acting Managing Director, Christy Clark, said that the, a proof of concept's gonna run from May 2021 until July 2022. So, you know, we should get some answers coming off the back of that. So it's going to be really interesting to keep an eye on. Okay, well, still
0: in New South Wales, um, the New South Wales government released some planning protocols uh, last week, uh, which um, they they did it quite sort of uh, subtly and modestly, but it it seems it's going to have quite a big impact on, on planning and property development across the state. And one area here in particular that we picked up on at Comms Day, and that was in data center approvals. Um, can you tell us all about
1: that, Simon? Yes, it's a really interesting one uh, because, uh, as you say, it sort of went a little bit under the radar. And uh, they've essentially made changes to uh, the official term is the state environmental planning policy. And uh, what they're allowing is that it's going to make it easier for businesses to uh, change and modify existing sites. And that also includes uh, data centers across uh, Sydney and uh, the rest of the state as well because uh, the um, minister, uh, Rob Stokes, uh, actually turned and said that data centers are going to be one of the key priority areas. And they put a figure on it. They actually said that data centers contribute as much as a billion dollars in construction and fit-out costs to the New South Wales economy and also end up forming uh, critical IT infrastructure for the state as well. So it's going to be very interesting. It fits in with what we heard uh, the commercial property giant uh, CBRE who suggested that in the next three years Sydney's going to add another 499 megawatts of data centre capacity across uh, the st- uh, across Sydney I should say and uh, so you can see that this is really going to help spur uh, a lot of the uh, planning applications to accelerate a little bit. Uh, apparently the government said it had seen a rise in the number of data centre development applications using the regional development or state significant development pathways which becomes quite lengthy and expensive and this is going to help uh, remove some of those barriers and make the whole uh, process a lot easier. Now this was welcomed by uh, Equinix Australia Managing Director Guy Danskin who uh, told us that as far as they were concerned it's really giving a greater flexibility and uh, allowing their decisions about about what they're going to do with their future investment. And that's a key one because the fact that we know that Equinix is poised to do an X-scale data center, which is their big uh, centers they're building around the world, targeting hyperscalers. And Sydney is definitely on the plans for that. So this should be a real boost to some of that planning. Uh, And also, if we look at the regions, uh, leading edge data centers who are rolling out at least 15 other data centers across uh, regional New South Wales and uh, some other states as well, have also turned and suggested that it's going to make it a lot easier for them to invest and create digital infrastructure right across regional New South Wales. Now, the government pointed out that a lot of data centres don't really have huge staff. They don't really have huge truck rolls. So on that side of things, you know, they're not necessarily going to make a big impact on uh, their surrounding environments. But obviously, uh, with their uh, generators and uh, batteries, they are also got to have some potential on the pollution side of that. And so the government has said that they've uh, commissioned two independent studies to look into that to make sure that those particular elements of any data center build are well controlled and managed.
0: Okay, that's very interesting. Um, It's interesting just driving around Sydney um, recently to see some of the amazingly large sites um, dedicated for data center builds um, up in Artham and um, Next DC is building up there, Air Trunk uh, have had an enormous plot of land in Lane Cove West down by the river um, and then there's also big builds taking place out at Eastern Creek and, and places like that so yeah it's definitely a big one. Anyway thank you for that sum up Simon, um, I've missed you the past few weeks, good to be back in business.
1: You'll have to throw straighter Graham.
0: listening to comms day live and uh i'm speaking with a very very interesting fellow matt shearing who's a ceo of one code who um are a new operator from queensland they're doing some really really interesting things globally not not just in queensland welcome to the show matt yeah thanks graham great to be here okay now matt, you got my attention recently with um some press releases you put out regarding a very ambitious thing you're doing in guam in the western pacific and that's a a, a gaming hub so you can, can you explain more about what this is and what market you're trying to address
2: yeah so the uh the guam gaming hub is really about solving the uh the the, the, the connective probably in asia pacific so at the moment particularly in uh, in gaming uh there is a there's a hyper regionalization right now so most players in gaming across basically all the multiplayer games, play within their own region, generally in, in their nearest city or in their nearest large city in their country. And that's about it. It's very hard for players to jump outside of that regionalization because most of the servers are very local and people are always wanting to play local. Now, that's great for the very, very major games um, and for players that don't really want to move outside the bounds of their gaming, you know, local gaming communities. But... What it's not great for is uh, the wider gaming community w- within Asia Pacific. It's not great for a lot of the smaller publishers, and it's definitely not great for esports, which is a which is a booming industry at the moment, and a lot of people looking to move into it. Um, so this hyper regionalization problem. I'll, I'll give you an example, right? So I'm I'm a gamer on the on the Australia's east coast right now, um, and I want to play. I'm sick of playing with. People within my region because I've you know, I can beat them or whatever. I want to play with other people say Malaysia or in China um, Well right now your your best option is probably to go to get a server in Singapore connect to Singapore um, And then get Malaysia to connect to Singapore as well now There's a couple of issues with that. The first issue is that it's a long way away from the East Coast uh, And the routing is not great. So like a lot of it, a lot of uh, providers and carriers operate on uh, lowest cost routing. So, you know, your route will generally not be the re- most direct route to get to those servers, first of all. Um, second of all, it's it's a coordination issue too. Like it is, it's quite, actually quite difficult to get people to all coordinate to play on these servers at the same time. Um, and it's all manual too. So if you're wanting to do that, it's it's all manual. It's not happening behind the scenes in a lot of these games. It's something that you've got to go out of your way to do. Um and there's all sorts of vagaries with routing and connectivity that goes on behind the scenes, which makes it basically impossible. So right now, if I'm a gamer on Australia's East Coast, I can generally really only play with gamers on Australia's East Coast. Um, and that's even worse in esports, right? Because in esports, you know, it's 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 the, the, it's the like normal sports. You want to be testing yourself against the best and playing against the best. Um, you used to, before COVID, you used to go to a lot of local events and you'd fly around the world to do that. Uh, At the moment, the world's kind of shut down. That's quite hard to do. Um, So everyone really, there's no way for them to play against competition in in a lot of these other regions. So what we've done with Guam is we've said, well, um, the region needs a meeting point. It needs common ground where everyone can connect to and everyone's going to be on a level playing field. Because uh, like a lot of the time, what's happening is these countries, these gamers in these countries are saying, well, we'll play on the Malaysian server or we'll play on the, beijing server or the sydney server and one team's getting a big advantage uh, via latency and the other team is you know it's not even worth playing right like you know you may have a if you're playing on a sydney server the sydney team will have a two more second ping your to- team in tokyo will have 100 plus you know it's just it's just not even worth doing so guam for us if you look at it on the map it's it's quite central um to the region and there's if you pop a submarine cable map there's a number of cables now that are landing at Guam, um, and it's actually quite—it's uh, it's a lot more simple for us now to connect Guam to a number of these countries directly. So we've built a, a hub there on Guam, uh, which we've um, which we've—we've we've got our own servers on there already, um, and then we've taken capacity on a number of these cables coming in and out of Guam. Um, we're popping in a number of locations around APAC with the goal of getting as close to the users as we can and making sure that we're picking up those users as quickly as possible and transiting them over our network which is built for um best path routing so that we like we will always try and optimize path uh, and latency wherever we can as opposed to lowest cost um and that's really the premise of guam the guam hub right it's yeah. about connecting the you know, 1.5 billion gamers in asia pacific and north america um, to a common meeting place where it can kind of be the default for the region
0: yeah um, gotcha okay I can, I can vouch for the problem you're solving here. I have a male relative in Thailand who has kicked off a Minecraft team that were largely in Singapore because he was slowing the side down. So there you yeah. go. <laughs> and, uh, but, so who who are the actual customers for this? Is it telcos? Is it game developers? Like, who actually um, can take advantage of this to speed up the latency? Yeah,
2: that's a great question. It's really a stu- two-staged um, solution. So the first stage is us dealing with the gaming problem first. So... We've built the network to build with the gaming problem, to, to deal with the gaming problem, and the relevant customers for that are mainly your game publishers, your game developers, and your esports operators. So the companies that are actually out there connecting players to games currently. Um, so for your gaming publishers and your gaming developers, um, they most of them are running their own server backends these days. Uh, so if you if you jump on a game, you'll hit play. If it's a multiplayer game, and it will match you up with other other users you know so if you're on a shootout, they'll put you on a server a server with a shooter server so other people can you can all shoot each other if it's a, a battle royale or an mmo um, they'll put you on these larger worlds right um, and these worlds can be anywhere from 50 to 50,000 people you know like some, some of them are huge um, and they're taking care of that currently now their issue at the moment is that exactly what I detailed before they have to deploy in a number of these different areas to make sure that they're hitting, hitting all the gamers. There's no like one stop shop defaults um, where they can say, okay, we're going to put, you know, 50% of our resources here. And we know that we've got the 1.5 billion gamers covered with under hundred more um, And then, you know, we'll have satellite servers that we can spin up and spin down as we need. There's nothing like that at the moment. So our value proposition to those companies is, Hey, we've built this hub, it's central, Um, the latency is more than acceptable for basically the entire region. Uh, It makes sense for you to use this as your default, effectively, host a number of your assets here. You're not having to spend as much then on infrastructure in all these countries, um, have all these disparate server locations, but also you're not having to worry about population because a lot of these games now, they're free to play. They're being released without charging anyone anything. And the value, the value proposition to their investors and the companies that are running this is the longer – the more players we can get on these games and the longer we can keep them running, the more money we'll make because we can sell them consumables, we can sell them items, we can sell them battle packs and all sorts of other wonderful things that they, the, the research is showing that people are more willing to pay for and generally you'll end up getting more from your users than you would if you just made them pay for the game up front because you remove that barrier to access, right? Like it's like a permanent free trial. Um but what most, of the, what most of them are running into is that because of these hyper-regionalized servers, um, the moment the server population, like generally the, the first week after gaming launch is great, after that week, the population starts dipping, the queue times start going up. Um, and as the queue times start going up, more and more people leave because the queue times are going up, which exacerbates the problem more. Um, so our value proposition to a lot of these publishers and developers is, Use Guam as your default. You'll always have it there as your fallback, but it's also a really good base through which to operate, like, a lot of your server architecture from. Definitely still have your um, assets out in the, you know, the more local areas. We can help you with that if you want. Uh, but it's all transiting over our network. It's all coming back to Guam, and you won't have to worry about losing population because your queue times, you're drawing from a much, much larger pool of gamers throughout the entire region. So everyone wins, basically. Yeah. Um Esports is a similar value proposition. So esports, it's, it, it's it's basically saying, you know, if you if you run your events here on Guam, you can suddenly have Aussies competing against Japanese, competing against Chinese, competing against Malaysian, Thailand, uh, India, um, you know, and, and the people throughout Philippines, Indonesia, throughout the region, and everyone's connecting on a relatively equal latency. Um, and that's a big deal. Like that suddenly lets you, instead of running – you know, a lot of the tournaments that run in Australia at the moment are just Australia. That's it. Um, and all of a sudden, you can have Aussies pitting themselves against Chinese and Japan, and all they need to worry about is how quick it takes them to get to Guam. They don't need to worry about anything other than how quickly they can get to Guam, because um, it's all happening there on Guam.
0: It, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because a, a lot of the bigger telcos, you know, if you look at the demographics of their boards and their management, they tend not to be people who are the right age <laughs> to understand yep. the gaming market. <laughs> but it, the gaming's pretty, pretty much you could. Very much argue that it's the second biggest application on the net after video streaming, you know, in terms of yep. at least a raw data throughput. Um, and and is, is it fair to say? This is my observation that perhaps because you're a bit younger, you're fully immersed in the culture and and you you get the opportunity. And perhaps some uh, the older telcos don't necessarily get that opportunity.
2: Yeah, I think, I think that's fair to say. I mean, I think there's definitely some uh, younger people starting to come up through some of those other telcos now. We're seeing some great stuff coming out of some of them. Uh, people are starting to get it that, you know, I mean, gaming is larger than the film and music industry combined, you know, so it's, it's a massive industry and uh, and it's the perfect place to be testing your tech too. Um so much so much like gaming is often the harbinger of everything else to come you know um you'll see these technologies rolled out in gaming first vr ar um there's all sorts of other ones that get rolled out all the time um and then they'll kind of have their business applications after that um and you know we're we're taking a similar approach right like we we see the need for gaming and we want to solve that need we want to make sure people are served and we've all got gaming backgrounds ourselves like i mean i've Everyone in our organization are gamers, so it, it works well. Uh, but a lot of the decision makers at a lot of these other companies now and other enterprises um, that aren't necessarily gaming themselves but use all the same telecommunications infrastructure that we're building and that, that, that gamers use, they're all gamers as well. I mean, uh, most most people under 40 are gamers, um, and they're, they're now moving into positions where they're making decisions and – and for us, I think, like, you know, the, 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 to to circle back to the question, like, I think, yes, that does make a difference, but it also means that um, we're, we're building a lot of other applications to hang off this, right? Like, we want to solve the gaming problem first, but then our hope is that other businesses and other decision-makers at these businesses will see what's happening there, and they'll go, okay, well, if that works for gaming, what could I do with that? What could I do with that platform, you know? Like, if if, they, if this network... Um, is, is is optimized for low latency, if we've got a hub there on Guam, if we've effectively got a neutral meeting place for the whole of Asia Pacific, there's some other really cool things that we can do with that that aren't necessarily um, catered towards gaming. But because they're able to see it happening in gaming, um, I think that's like the, a great first example of what's possible.
0: And, it, and it's, it's also interesting, the conversation about what constitutes a quality network seems to be moving on now from... Megabits to milliseconds. <laughs> See, <laughs> probably about time really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, yeah. because
2: because there's there's a glut of megabits out there now. Yeah, I know. You We've know, got, the, like- got the
0: bandwidth problem sorted, <laughs> but we don't have the latency problem sorted, and it's particularly apparent in Australia because we're yeah. so far from Singapore and Hong Kong and all the natural hubs.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And look, like and, and and you mentioned Hong Kong, and I think that's, you know, that's another thing to note, right? Like um, because Singapore is a long way from the East coast, um, Hong Kong, you know, typically is, is, is more towards East Asia, but I mean, there's, there's, there's a, there's a definite feeling that people are looking for another spot to start basing their operations. So they've got Singapore, Hong Kong, and maybe somewhere else. And Guam for us Aussies is perfect because it's only about 63 to 70 milliseconds away by the new cables that have just been dropped down. Um, and you know, I, th- I think that trend's going to continue, right? Like, there's there's a renewed interest in Darwin now, um, and people starting to look at Darwin as a you know as a potential, uh, almost like another Guam in some ways. I think for that real Southeast Asian region, um, and there's a there's a I think there's a real feeling for Aussies particularly that we're starting to get closer again to Asia, which is really nice because I think for the longest time. It's been pretty isolating. Like we've 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 been hanging out here on the east coast, and you know, our latency to everywhere has just been been uh, been rubbish. So I think there's definitely a, a bit of a selfish element to why we're doing Guam because it it's, it solves our issue as well. But you can start winning also... some games,
0: <laughs> some tournaments. Exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, well that's interesting. I, I, I want to move on because um, because coach far from a a sort of one trick company. You've got some other dimensions. Yes. To, to, to what you're doing. And, and the other one that I find quite fascinating is that you you're running a um terrestrial fixed wireless network in Southeast Queensland. So can, can you tell us a yeah. bit more about that?
2: Yeah, so like and that, look honestly like that was actually how the company started, right? So initially we we were we were more focused on the end user in the last mile um, because there's just there's a lot of issues here in queensland in in a number of regions with the last mile connectivity. Um, and, and that's, what, that's the megabits, like, that, like we were talking about before, it's the megabits, but it's also the latency and also the network quality. Um, and the great thing is there are now technologies coming out. Um, when, like, you know, I'm not going to take credit for the actual technologies themselves. They're being developed by people far larger than us, but uh, there's some great new wireless technologies coming out. Um, Facebook's uh, been working on Terrograph with a number of other vendors. I mean, that's something that we're um that's that's going into our network uh, there's other technologies out there too are you
0: the first australian operator to be using TerraGraph? uh i believe in in uh
2: in perth so i don't want to steal their thunder yeah, but you're like one of perth. the first
0: you're on the vanguard definitely
2: yeah 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 yeah, yeah. like we're, we're definitely one of the first i think um yeah. and you know and we've been really impressed so far and i yeah. think um yeah. and I, I think that's not going to continue but you know, and, and what what it let, lets us do as a smaller operator, right, as someone that's still relatively early in our company lifecycle, is it lets us get coverage uh, to a number of areas, uh, uh, you know, cheaper and more inexpensively than rolling out a full terrestrial fiber network, um, which is what you know a lot of the larger providers are doing. Um, but for us, it's really about giving a user a great experience from end to end, right? Like I think that's where things are really falling down, and and we wanted to, we, we took a step back and we said, well, let's build our back end network first. Like we really wanted to build a quality uh, backend network so that once we start plugging people into our last mile, they're transiting over the one code network, basically all the way until we we hand them off to where they need to go. Um, and I think that's that's been where the disconnect is, right? Like that's where so many of our issues uh, in the last mile in Australia come from is, you're effectively dealing with different vendors at different times, different technologies, um, and there's no way for for most of your ISPs, particularly your smaller ISPs, to guarantee a great experience from from go to woe, You know, um, the yeah. moment it leaves the house, all the way until it gets handed off. And so for us, that's why we're taking that approach, right? Like we want to make sure that we've got control end to end over the network, so we, you know, so
0: so we can tell users that. They're going to get a good experience. Yeah. So where do where do I have to be living to be able to be a co Wireless <laughs> customer?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I mean, our, our coverage map is not large at the moment. Uh, where where like we're, we're we're building we're in the we're in the build phase right now. We've probably got um, we're going to have effective coverage uh, for about seventy five thousand households. We're estimating um, in the next two to three months. Um, so a lot of that's in Brisbane. A lot of that's in Brisbane. Um, so Brisbane, Morton Brace Shire Council, um, some areas of the Logan Council as well, and a couple of areas of the Gold Coast. Um, and then uh, soon, soon after that, we're gonna be opening up some areas in the Sunshine Coast as well. But but for the for the next probably, I'd say two to four months, it's gonna be mainly Brisbane.
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, I also wanted to move on to the third arm of, of, of yep. what you're doing. And, and you recently announced that you launched a bunch of POPs um, across the region. Yes. And, and that you're offering capacity, uh, international capacity to businesses to those locations. So, can you tell us a bit more about that, and, and what the plan is there?
2: Yeah, so I mean, like uh, we, we've built this network for gaming. Um, it's a and, and it's a, it's a premium network. It's low latency, um, but that's just one of the problems, right? And I think there's there's a number of uh, business problems and enterprise problems that we can solve as well. So, um, and, and the other thing about gaming too is it's 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 not uh, super high bandwidth, right? At least at the moment, that's changing. Uh, but at the moment, so we do have a lot of spare capacity um, and we do have an incredible network of, of, um, of pops already and, and we're building more and more. So the the, the, the primary products we're offering to businesses and enterprise at the moment is uh, we're offering a great IP transit product, um, Ethernet connectivity and uh, private cloud service as well. So uh, because we've got all these gaming servers sitting on Guam and we've built them to be, Scaled up rolled out very quickly. Um, we've built them to be very powerful. Um, so they're all built to, you know like Quite high spec Um, That same technology we can then apply to the enterprise world and we can say to enterprises. Well, look we can build you a A a private network a private ethernet network between your head offices and wherever your locations are throughout APAC Um, And if you want you can get some compute in somewhere like guam or somewhere like tokyo or somewhere else Um, and that's that's I think that's a trend that we're starting to see a lot in the enterprise world, particularly. Like uh, it used to be that you'd hold you'd host all your assets on your own server um, in your building, and then we went fully to the cloud. You know, like we went all the way over to the cloud. And I think there's definitely a, well we're seeing a trend anyway uh, pulling back on that a bit and saying, well, we'd still like to have control. Uh, we'd like to hook our network up between you know all our different premises throughout Asia Pacific. Um, we'd like to have some compute somewhere as well, um, and that's a solution that we offer. And so, you know, from the connectivity side um, all the way through to um, like a bit of a blended solution with uh, compute resources and connectivity, that's
0: that's effectively the offering that we're, that we're putting out to the market at the moment. Okay. And it's fair to say that um, a lot of this has been enabled by your access to the RTI cable that lands in the Sunshine Coast. Is that right?
2: Correct. Yeah. Now, without without RTI, I mean, I, I'm I'm always upfront that without RTI, uh, one code would not be where it is today. Yeah. Um, and that's 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 just that they, they've been a catalyst. What that that cable they built has been a catalyst for, for so much of what we do. Um, and I think it's going to be a catalyst for for so much of what's coming in the future. You know, because it's very much like it's it's a big it's a big gamble too, right? Like you, you know you you're putting a cable down somewhere that's quite non traditional. I mean, most all these other cables have landed in Sydney. Um, and you've basically got to build it and then wait for them to come (laughs) and hope they do. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's made a massive difference for us. I mean, I think it's going to make a massive difference for Queensland. We've got about 5 million people in this little pocket here of Southeast Queensland. And until now, all of our traffic's had to route through Sydney, um, and generally go out then to the, to, to the U S but, um, this just, it it changes the game. It, It makes it so that we can hook correct directly to Asia um, through Guam and then we've built our network off that so we've got pops in uh, Tokyo, Hong Kong and LA at the moment uh, with Guam as well uh, Plus a, a number of pops in Australia, um, but we and you know, we're, we're now moving towards popping in Singapore Philippines uh, Chennai and they're not too distant and uh, a couple of other areas around uh, Asia as well, so the, the goal is to leverage that connectivity that RTI has built plus leverage um, a number of the other cables that are in the area and get as close to all of these pockets of population throughout Asia as we possibly can um, so we can bring all the data back and um, you know and, and, and get as close to the users as we can. So you know any gaming company or enterprise um, knows that if they're on the one code network uh, they're probably going the, the, the people accessing them uh, and connecting to them are probably going to have a good experience.
0: Okay, well, you've got a tremendous ambition, and thank you very much for sharing your story with us today, Matt. No, no worries at all, Graham. Really, really appreciate it. Well, moving on, and we're going to go back to taking a look at the week that was with Rowan Pierce, the Executive Editor of Comms Day. Hi, Rowan. Hey, Graham. Um, now, you had a very interesting story in comms day regarding Telstra and the ACCC in the federal court um, over some other naughty things that Telstra has been doing. Can you, can you tell us all about that?
3: Yeah, so th- this was really quite grim stuff and it, it goes back to um, I, It was originally announced last year, so it involves... Um, a joint application by the ACCC and Telstra to the federal court, which is actually seeking to have the court impose a $50 million fine on Telstra. So the, the case was finally heard last week, but obviously it was like brought last year. And it kind of it relates to not not Telstra's uh, own conduct so much as like the conduct of like five Telstra licensed stores across WABNTA in South Australia. So, um, you know, Telstra didn't run them, but it's accepted a responsibility for the conduct, which basically involves some really kind of gross predatory sales tactics that affected them. Um, Indigenous consumers in communities, where you know Telstra is often the only kind of mobile network. So, you know, it was things like pe- people were being sold contracts that they weren't explained to them, and you know, people, including people who have English as a second or third language, or you know, people weren't aware of the kind of impact that excess data charges could have on them. And so, really, it was this kind of group of sales staff pushing these services on kind of vulnerable and not very wealthy consumers. Um, and really ripping them off, essentially. So it was great for people's sales targets, but terrible for the people affected. So people built up huge debts, obviously very stressful for a lot of them. You heard like, you know, the court heard stories of people worried about they were gonna be thrown in jail because of their debt for their mobile service and that kind of thing. So really, really quite awful stuff. So should note that obviously Telstra, you know, like, like I said, it was Telstra licensed stores, but Telstra has still taken responsibility for a joint application with the ACCC for this fine to be imposed. And obviously since this has happened, Telstra has actually said that it's bringing all its retail operations back in-house. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, Telstra has very clear that this, you know, doesn't want this to happen again. But it is, like, just hearing this laid out in court, it was, it was very grim stuff, I thought.
0: Indeed. Um, now, mo- moving on, um, NBN and its RSPs, of course, last year, uh, entered into an un- unprecedented uh, scheme of cooperation, over the COVID-19 pandemic, basically to share notes and, and um, come up with mitigating actions designed to improve the experiences of consumers in tough times. That's all come to an end. Why is that, Rowan? Yeah, well, this actually, I guess
3: this is more, on a more positive note. Um, this, this is really the kind of, you know, the, the special working group convened by NBN and the, the biggest RSPs um, to deal with the kind of impact of COVID on networks. So what happened was the, the authorization came in last year. It's just expired last week. So kind of, um, you know, obviously we're still in the middle of a pandemic, but it kind of draws a line under this period, really, where you saw, you know, this, this um, like you said, unprecedented cooperation between Ambient and co and RSPs that are normally kind of competitors to, just to make sure that people actually remain connected during COVID while everyone's having to, stuck doing Zoom drinks and remote working and all that kind of thing. So, you know, during its existence, the group made decisions around re- for example, requesting video conferencing providers, like limited bandwidth, video streaming providers, obviously there was a big one with Netflix usage just kind of soaring during the pandemic. So I think it's one of those things where it's like, it's kind of, um, it's actually like the, the telco sector as a whole came out looking pretty good from COVID, I think really given that, you know, the stream, it's essentially like smashed previous fixed line broadband consumption records. So I think um, it's useful that like, kind of expiring that authorization is a good point to kind of reflect on that in some ways.
0: Yeah, if, if there was one good thing to come out of this um, cooperation, it was uh, an increased industry awareness about the impact of different applications on the network and how they work. So, you know, um, yeah, two in particular, and that was the some of the high bit rates for uh, Ultra HD and 4K video streams. And, and of course, some of the video <laughs> providers agreed to restrain them uh, j- j- during during the pandemic. And also um, these big game updates, which <laughs> just take networks by surprise and, and um, there, there was uh, increased channels of communication coming from those game developers as a response to the to the work of this committee. So that was all good stuff. everyone's talking to each other a bit more. and of course that's that's what makes for a good internet when the various uh, parties on it to talk to each other and tell each other what they're doing. Anyway, on that note, Rowan. Thank you very much for joining us today. Cheers. And that's it for Comms Day Live this week. We'll see you next week.